Hey, what's going on, you filthy animals? Welcome back to another episode of the Wall Street Junkie Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Luke Muller. This episode I had on Billy Guan. He is a financial co- coach. He is based out of California, Bay Area, pretty close to where I live. He he helps clients reach financial independence through a variety of different investment vehicles. And like I said, financial coach, financial consultant, wealth of information, especially when it comes to insurance products, something I'm not very well versed in because that's not the space I was in, but super great guy to talk to, very knowledgeable, and all around great, fun conversation. Also, let me just add, he's a magician as well. So look, guys, it was a kick-ass episode. And I hope you guys enjoy this one. Well, I guess we can uh, kick this one off. Well, uh, Billy, do you want to introduce yourself to uh, all these Wall Street junkies that are listening in? Yeah, for sure. My name is Billy Guan. I am a financial consultant and a financial coach. Uh, I've been working in the field of finance for the last seven years or so, and I am also a magician as a hobby. <laughs> uh, so I've been yes. doing that for about 13 years. Oh, we're definitely going to have to talk about that a little bit later on, too. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So where are you? Well, I guess we won't get into where you work, but where are you based out of? I'm in Northern California. Okay. Okay. So we're we're pretty close by each other. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. And how long have you been at the current, your current firm right now? Been here since like around six or seven years. Okay. Uh, I was there since pretty much like one or two years since its inception. So I've been here for quite a while. Okay. And so with that, is it mainly, um, are you work from home now with COVID or how does that work? I work from home, but I also go into the office every now and then because uh, I got to pick up some of the, uh, the plans for the clients and deliver them out and things like that. Uh, so every now and then I swing by the office and pick up some plans. But for the most part, I work from home. Okay. You know, so as a financial coach and, and specifically for you, when you talk about clients, what what are typically some of the things that uh, you get clients to come to you for? So a lot of times when I work with clients, they come with a lot of financial baggage and you know, that's no dig at them and it's completely sure. okay. You know, personal finance is one of those things where we're not really taught in school and, you know, right. if we're, our parents were not very well educated in that, you know, they can't teach what they don't know. and. Sure. So that gets passed on. And so my goal is to help them un- unravel and unwind all those uh, financial no-nos and kind of teach them some basic principles on how to build up a, uh, a strategy to get out of debt, to manage their savings, manage their retirement and things of that nature. Okay. You know, when you talk about debt, it, I, w- I want to know your take as someone who, who practices this more. If you have somebody that comes to you with like, student loan or things of that nature and they also want to invest what's that threshold to consider you know what what's a good um you know because there are certain reasons why you would want to be investing if you have debt what are some of those things that you look for to decide so that will highly depend be dependent on the person's income Mm, um my basic formula with with regards to people's investment or you know building up their financial strategies that you got to build savings build Mm. retirement and manage debt all at the same time okay because if you focus too much on one thing uh the other pillars collapse and so let's say someone Mm. has way too much debt and they're only focusing on getting out of debt and they don't do anything else well that means they don't have an emergency fund so if anything were to go south 
they're then screwed. they're going to fall deeper into debt. Right. And if they are not investing, you know, they're burning through time, and time is the only asset that you can never get more of. Hundred percent. So they lose out. They lose out on the compound interest. And so you know, if you focus too much on debt. You know, more debt is all you get because once you get out of money or get out of uh, debt, you know, what ends up happening, right? You spend more money. Sure. And so it, it needs mm. to be a very very balanced situation, and like that's that. going to be dependent on the, uh, the person's income and outgo. Okay. You know, that's interesting because, you know, what's your take on Dave Ramsey's strategy? Because I think from what I've heard, Dave Ramsey's more like that debt first, right? Like he's really into focusing on that pillar. Is that kind of fair to say or? Yeah, Dave Ramsey is a little too hardcore. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of clients that, um, that you know, like his program. And, I'm you know, personal finance is exactly that. It's personal. Sure. However it works for you, it works for you. Um, but you know, there's effective ways and ineffective ways. Okay. And with Dave Ramsey, I mean, he's great at teaching financial awareness, mm. but some of the stuff that he preaches can be a little far out there and it can potentially sure. lead people down a, uh, a path that's a little hard to get back on track with. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Is it, uh, and so same with like student loans and things like that. Would you still consider, you know, somebody continue to invest even if they have loans? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And so with student loans, um, and if you guys want to write this down, uh, try to see if you guys qualify for a uh, income-based loan forgiveness program okay. at studentaid.gov. Love it. Um, I don't know if it works for you guys or not, but you never know until you try it out. But if you do try it out, and you guys do qualify for the uh, the program, the loan forgiveness program. Basically, what they'll end up doing is um, they'll figure out a number uh, and strike a deal with you to say, hey, if you pay this amount for 10 years, the remainder of your balance will be paid off. Okay. And so whatever the case may be, um, you know, if you have 100000 in debt, 300000 in debt, try it out. If not, then, you know, we'll go back to the drawing board and figure something else out. That makes sense. So what about consumer debt, though? So with consumer debt, like I, I totally agree on the pillars, but what if your consumer debt is like 17, 18%? Does it even make sense to um, to invest even, at, you know, because earning a 16, 17, 18% return is pretty hard in the market. What's your take mm -hmm. on consumer debt? Like what would your strategy be a little bit different on that or kind of curious on that? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different. I still want the person to potentially, you know, put money aside for savings and retirement. Sure. Um, but with consumer debt, the sooner you get out of it, the sooner you give yourself a raise. Yeah. And so if you're not being dragged around with like 500 bucks, you know, a month on credit card payment, mm -hmm. that 500 bucks can go towards some other stuff. Okay. So the most effective way to get out of that and, you know, depending on what the person wants to do is obviously doing the snowball. Mm. Um, and yep. it's how I go about it is it's kind of a mixture of snowball and avalanche. So okay. if there's a person that has like a, you know, a really, really low balance with one card that is, you know, higher interest and the other card that's lower interest, I would highly suggest that person knock out the higher interest one first and right. then obviously go do the snowball. Um, but for most people, snowballing the debt is the most effective because it allows for them to have some momentum going on. Sure. What most people end up doing is they pay a little bit above minimum for all of their debts. And that basically causes them to become a octopus on roller, roller skates. Okay. They go everywhere and nowhere at the same time. And they get stretched out really thin. So okay. we need to basically dial in on a focus and knock down the smallest debt possible 
and then reallocate everything above and beyond the minimums that you're paying on everything else to that one particular debt. And once that's knocked out, then you reallocate those uh, resources into the next lowest balance. So that it's the lowest balances. Forward. What's what's the reasoning behind the lowest lowest balances? Just so my um, listeners can understand that. Uh, great question. So for the lowest balance, it allows for you to basically get out of that credit card sooner, and yep. you can see forward motion. Good. Because if you don't see forward motion, uh, you're going to be very very disheartened, mm. and it's it's going to it's a mental thing as well. Um, cause if you're not seeing progress and you're seeing everything just drop slightly a little yeah. bit, uh, it's going to be very, very tiring. So yeah, totally to agree. Sure yeah, absolutely. You yeah, so, and I get this question a lot. It, what about debt consolidation? Like what kind of strategies? I know you got like, re, you can refinance your home if you're a homeowner. Do you, what about those debt consolidation companies that you see on the internet, you see on TV where they can... You know, help you get out of your debt for pennies on the dollar. Like, what's your take on on those type of schemes if they are? I don't particularly know too much about those. I don't try to rely on those. Okay. Um, typically, what ends up happening is they pretty much buy up all the debt or something like that, and then they strike a deal with you to manage all that nonsense. Okay. Uh, so it gets a little convoluted. I don't know too much about it, but my personal strategy for a lot of folks if they're in a lot of credit card debt would be like maybe once you knock out the first you know three or four low balance credit cards and you got a you know couple higher target or higher balance ones maybe get another credit card and do a balance transfer into a 0% um, you know 18 month type of situation mm. uh, you may potentially have to pay a couple bucks to move some money over to a different credit card sure. but at least now all the money that you're paying towards that new credit card is all principal and so that allows for a person to kind of have some time to breathe instead of being drowned by the interest rates. Because credit card interest rates are like you know, 24, 26%. 100%, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So depending on how much you owe on that, I mean, I see people with like you know $20,000 credit card debt and they don't know what to do with it. And if they don't have a plan in place, that means they are going to be drowning. And it's going to take a lot of time to uh, get out of that. Credit card is one of those things where if you don't use it proper, compound interest is working against you. And sure. Albert Einstein said it's best. It's, if you don't understand it, you're going to pay it. Yeah, it's a good point because I talk about that too. Compound interest can work for you and against you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you want it and to work the same for you. Thing, the same thing in like investments too. The tyranny of compounding costs. If you guys oh, yes. I've talked about that as well. Yeah, the expense ratios, the expense fees. Is that what you're referring to? Yep. Absolutely. Um, Asset under management, all that type of stuff. Yeah. And so when I see people telling other folks to max out 401ks and stuff like that, it it makes me cringe because a lot of times people don't even know what they're paying for in those fees. Okay. And a 3% over 35 years would mean that over half of your entire asset is gone to paying that financial advisor. So you really have to understand what it is that you're paying for in your expenses. Yeah, it, 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 absolutely. Because yeah, your 401k could be through something like that. I know when I was working for corporate America, I think the target date funds they automatically put me in were like 75 basis points, which is less than 3%, but 75 basis points is still a lot. It'll ruin mm-hmm. your return over over the course of 30 years. So super absolutely. important. Um, so with that, you know, so when I've asked this a couple of times to other people, 
let's say you have a 401k, right? You have it at an mm-hmm. old employer, and now you're at a new employer. I know every situation is different, but what do you generally recommend? Do you recommend leaving it there? Do you recommend, like, what's your strategy there? Mm-hmm. Of course, it's going to be dependent upon the individual and how the, uh, the you know, asset is performing. But a lot of times, you know, 401ks from corporations are not necessarily the best ones. Yep. And so we would look at them and see how they're doing. And then if they have more than, let's say, $15,000, they have like 25000 sure. in an old 401k or something like that. We could initiate a rollover into an indexed IRA account nice. or something like that, yep. where they no longer take any of the market risk in the uh, stock market. So sure. any volatility that happens, they zero out and their balance is going to be the same. Okay. Um, and if the market goes up, they're able to capture the growth of the stock market. And depending on how certain um, investment strategies work, they may get a bonus multiplier too, which is really, really powerful. Okay. And so if you have a 0% downside and you know pretty much like a pretty high upside and you don't ever lose money, that's pretty much making your 401k into like a CD account on steroids sure. and meth at the same time. What um, What is... Can you explain index? Because it's different than an index fund. It's different than exchange trade funds. We talked about this offline. Can you explain to my listeners what you're referring to when you talk about an index? Yeah, of course. So indexing strategies basically means that you are able to capture the upside of the stock market when it goes up. But if the markets were to ever crash, you have a 0% floor that prevents you from ever losing any money. And so how those work is there's a a, uh, mechanism called the annual reset provision. And so let's say you invest $1,000 and the market goes up 10%, your $1,000 now earns you a $100 return. So yep. that gets locked into your principal. So that sets the new baseline for what your principal is. So if the market ever grows down again, the lowest you go is you retain your balance at $1,100. And gotcha. If the market goes up, let's, go, let's say it goes up another 10% or so, um, and you know, 1100 10%, that's 110, your account now locks in at 1210. And that becomes the new baseline. So essentially, it allows for you to have uninterrupted compound interest. Okay. And, um, you know, this sounds amazing. What is the, um, because, you know, you have a floor. What's the capped upside? Just so people, I mean, I know it varies, but what what are some of the common capped upsides you see on these indexing strategies? That's a good question. So depends. Uh, A lot of the carriers that we work with have... uh, uncapped strategies and they give you multiplier bonuses whoa uh, okay. i know that with uh, s&p 500 indexes typically they cap you out around like nine nine and a half percent some i've seen at like thirteen uh, percent but it really depends on the carrier and the financial institution but okay. uh with like other indexes like credit suisse barclays trailblazer uh fidelity uh they have some uh, indexes that we use that are pretty much um proprietary so if you were to go directly to like fidelity or something like that you wouldn't be able to get these indexing strategies gotcha okay yeah i like that it's and i think it's they're they're definitely a decent strategy for people to kind of look into i really i like that what what about the fees associated um with these indexing strategies well, what good you, question. Yeah. And so for depending on the type of indexing strategy, um, yeah. so with like, let's say an indexed IRA or something like that, yeah. there's no fees associated with it. Okay. Um, yeah. So if, you know, you're being charged a 3% fee, 
uh, we can completely eliminate that and put you in a no fee situation. So <laughs> any growth gets compounded without uh, you having to worry about leakage. Yep. Um, so that's really powerful. We have a lot of no fee strategies. Now we're talking about like certain life insurance strategies. Um, yes. These plans basically they front load a lot of the expenses to the first ten years or so. And so while people may say, oh, it's super expensive, yes, it can be expensive in the front end, but let's say you treat this like a 401k in the back end when you do retire at like 65 or something like that, those expenses drop off to near negligible amounts where any interest that you're earning from your compounding just turns your plan into a self-funding plan. Okay. Whereas in a 401k situation, let's say you start off with $1,000 and you're being charged a 1% asset under management fee, Right. 1% of a thousand is not much, but let's say you get up to a million dollars, 1% of a million dollars is a lot of money. Then. That's a lot, yeah. So, so people need to understand how percentages work, yep. and they completely misunderstand percentages because percentages don't work the same way as actual numbers. And an easy way for me to ask you would be like, would you rather have 100% of a grape or 50% of a watermelon? <laughs> What would 100% of a grape or 50% of a watermelon? Uh, Which is bigger, right? Is it is it a watermelon? Absolutely. Watermelon is <laughs> way bigger. <laughs> I had to check. Okay, good. Oh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> so what about – so I'm thinking about this. This came in my head. What about dividends? You know, the S&P 500, mm-hmm. there, there's dividends there. What does that look like in an indexing strategy? I'm kind of curious. Does so that... what's really cool about it, um, one of the strategies that I personally invest in, um, it's been providing me, like, depending on the month, right, it, it provides me monthly interest as well as index crediting. Index crediting happens once a year. Um, and so I get both, which is pretty cool. Okay. And so that would be like a proxy for dividends, I suppose? Yeah, it wouldn't be like, you know, you know, a Robin Hood account where you can, you know, like pull money out from that. Um, it would just basically go back into your cash accumulation bucket. Okay. And just keep on building from there. So it's like reinvesting into your plan. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. What about life insurance? Let's let let's get into a little bit of life insurance. I'm not a, a huge expert, so do you kind of want to lay the land for? I guess let's let's get more towards millennials. Um, mm-hmm. Who, you know, should they consider life insurance? I say yes. What, what's your 100%. take on that? Yeah, because it's like you have, you know, you have so many years left of working, right? You want to mm-hmm. cover that, that human Absolutely. capital. Yeah, explain yeah. that a little bit. And so most people, they um, they don't really have life insurance. They yep. have more insurance on their phone than, than they do <laughs> on their life, which is sad. And yeah, so. The bare bones basic of what ends up happening is there's no such thing as a timely death, right? People are always, you know, dying right. untimely manner. 100%. Um, and so with regards to that, if you're not properly protected and you don't have the proper estate plans in place, you're going to put your family in all sorts of financial jeopardy where, you know, they have to end up begging people online for donations with GoFundMe. Mm. And even with a GoFundMe account, they don't really get the entire amount. They get a portion of it and then the company gets up, they get a piece. Yeah. And so it's very important to have a personal plan in place so that in case you pass away, your family's not going to be dealing with the financial fallout of that. Right. And it's very, very easy to set up a plan, a life insurance plan that works best. And with life insurance, the sooner you get one, the cheaper it is. 
because okay. you are the youngest you'll ever be today. Right. Like you're older already, right? So yep. the older you get and the sicker you get, and that's typically how life happens, life insurance becomes more and more expensive. Right. So if you are a kid and you get a, you know, a small, like let's say index universal life insurance plan, most people don't know what that is. It allows for you to get some tax-free returns. Uh, it performs a lot better than a whole life insurance plan. Um, but basically, let's say a kid, you know, 20 years old, gets a hundred dollar a month index universal life insurance plan, and they build that up. And over the course of you know 25 years or so, if they don't pass away, they can use that money as a form of income. That's okay. a tax-free pension plan for them if they decide to access that. Um, now, obviously, I'm just throwing out random ages. Uh, you don't want to access that money too young because it needs time to grow. Right. Um, but with regards to like insurance, if you were to pass away, that pays out to your family and you can take care of all the nonsense that happens uh, you or die. your family can take care of when, when you die. Yes. Right. So that could be like your mortgage. Um, most people, when they pass away, uh, they don't have proper life insurance plans in place. They don't have the proper beneficiaries in place. So that means their spouse either now has to go through probate, which absolutely sucks, right. or they don't have enough money to pay off the mortgage and they end up going homeless because the bank doesn't care. They only give you about 60 days to rearrange your stuff. Mm. Is it is it a pretty decent wealth transfer tool as well? What would you say about that? It's the most easy way for you to create generational wealth. Okay. You're essentially buying generational wealth right. without a down payment like you would for like a house or something. Sure. And even with a house, and I do real estate as well, uh, even with a house, if you don't have the proper type of like financial instruments or estate instruments like a living trust, right. when you pass away, your house goes into probate, especially since yeah. we're in California. And they're coming California. after that really hard as a wealth transfer tool in California specifically. Like they're really coming after real estate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah like, it, it's important. And most people don't know that if your kids, if you leave your kids a house on their will or something like that, 100% is going to go into probate. And that means you have to now deal with lawyers, mandated probate costs. And with COVID going on, a two-year probate process can now get kicked out to be about five years. So <laughs> I'm not surprised. Much, yeah. So imagine how much you're paying for in lawyer fees and stuff like that. And not only that, the taxes are going to go from you know your current, uh, you know, the property tax value that you have currently to the future tax value of sure. the market price. Yep. So now they have to pay that difference. And so if you think you're leaving behind generational wealth because you bought your kid a house, you're probably setting them back like at least half a million dollars if you're not careful, okay. especially with the prices out here in California. Right. Okay. I like that. I like that. And what about any other kind of wealth transfer tools you recommend? Uh, absolutely. And so if you are thinking about creating generational wealth, yeah. you need a team behind you. You need a team of credit specialists, financial consultants, um, accountants. You yeah. need a uh, real estate person. You also need a mortgage broker. And you also need an estate planning lawyer. Nice. It's like yeah. six people that you need in your team. And a lot of people out there are going to be like, oh, I want to do this on my own. No. Yeah, I mean, if you want to do that on your own, by all means, and you know, <laughs> see what kind of pitfalls you have to go under. Yeah, um, don't do it. A, <laughs> don't do if it. If you have a team working with you in synchrony with each other, 
Yeah. You're going to be able to push that generational wealth to your children, to your children's children, right. whatever the case may be. And these aren't things you have to hire them full time. You just want a guy for all these things. You want a business card. You want an, a relationship with all these guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you know the right person, like I know every single one of those people. Like I have a guy in Sacramento 100%. that does estate planning, um, uh, like living trusts and things like that. Uh, I have a partner that I work with with regards to like mortgages, reverse mortgages, whatever the case may be. Uh, I have a partner that does credit repair. I have a partner that does um, like, you know, S Corp LLCs, all those type of things with uh, accounting. Okay. You just need a really, really solid team that you trust and that are reputable to build your, your empire, essentially. Right. So you brought up credit repair. I wanted mm-hmm. what... Does that really work, or what? What are the pitfalls of that, or kind of give me the lay of land of your opinion on credit repair? So, credit repair historically is one of those industries that seems kind of shady, right? Um, so, I don't know too much about it. I just know that my partner, I've seen them like wipe out all sorts of collections from people's credit reports and things like that, and they bump people's credit scores up from like a five fifty to like six hundred something. I don't know how they do it. Uh, I don't try to step into their lane. That's their world. Um, they do a phenomenal job for my clients, and you know, okay, I, I trust them to do it. Uh, that's that. That's great. What uh, what what about anything else you recommend for people to consider when it comes to any sort of wealth transfer insurance? Any any other? Um... What about annuities? So, actually, yeah, no. Do you do any annuities? Yeah, annuities are fantastic. Most people give annuities a really bad name because right. they don't know how it works and they get put into things like variable annuities, which means if the market goes down, you lose money. Yeah. There's a lot of powerful, powerful strategies out there where that doesn't happen. And so, you know, annuities are a great thing. Uh, fixed index annuities, um, you know, like term insurance. A lot of people should get some form of term insurance if they own a property. Uh, that's for, you know, like protection purposes. It's cheap, but the problem with term insurance is that most people rely solely on that. And how term insurance works is, let's say you have a 20-year term, you're betting that you're going to pass away within that 20-year time frame. Ah, uh, gotcha. And yeah. so most people don't die within that frame. And so what ends up happening is, let's say they get older and they get hurt or sick or you know whatever the case may be at year 19, and they don't pass away. Right. Now, depending on the insurance, if they have specific... Um, riders or protection benefits in, in place that will allow for them to um you know get the money out but if they don't that means that life insurance plan won't pay out and so after year 20 uh now that you know that money is not paid out you probably have to dip into your other investments to pay for medical treatment and things like that people lose their homes over you know taking uh equity out their homes to tr- pay for medical treatment and so that basically becomes a very, very dangerous game to play. And so if you have only term uh, insurance, you need to have some permanent plans with some living benefit protection. Okay. And so going back to term, let's say you get a catastrophic health situation year 19 and your term ends year 20. Now what happens there is all the money that you've put into your term plan essentially goes away. Um, so you have nothing, no cash value there. If you are trying to re-up, now you're older, so that's going to be extremely expensive. And because now you have a traumatic health record, then, you know, potentially you won't even qualify for life insurance anymore. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, it does. 
Okay. So a lot of times with people, they think about term and invest the difference. That is what creates a really, really bad financial strategy for most people. And they go down a really bad path because of that. And because they obviously when you tell people to invest in the stock market, most people don't know what that means. Right. Um, so you want to make sure that, uh, you know, you have proper financial structures in place and that they are performing the, the, the way that they are supposed to before you kind of you know, let it go. Hmm. Okay. The, dude, you really crushed this. I, uh, I appreciate that. I want to circle in you being a magician. Okay. Tell, <laughs> I want to know, cause this is interesting. I like talking about all sorts of stuff. Tell me about that. How, cause I know your name. I saw your name on Instagram, right? Like I see it, Billy Guan money mm -hmm. magic, but I didn't even really think, you know, you're a magician, but tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> So I started learning magic um, back when I was in high school, and it was just one of those things that um, was kind of quirky. I went to Las Vegas when I was a kid, and I saw a magic show, and I fell in love with it. And I wanted to learn how to do some of the stuff that you know they did, but you know, being a very very shy kid, and magic is a very you know hands-on type of art where you have to meet people and mingle and stuff like that. I just took it as a way to you know learn how to interact with other people, get over my shyness and get over my, um, my social anxiety, if you will. And that basically allowed for me to, you know, go into sales and business and it helped me a lot in that as well. Mm. What, uh, what's your favorite magic trick? Uh, I like to do weird stuff. I don't really like card tricks and stuff. So if you go onto my Instagram, there's really rarely ever any card tricks. Um, so I do things like I eat razors, I bend forks with my mind and stuff like that and you know, other type of stuff. So right now, because I am a financial person, I do a lot of magic with uh, money. Okay. So if you ever take a look at those, I'll show you how to multiply money. Oh, <laughs> I'm looking at some of your stuff right now. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yep. man. Do you do, do you do magic shows on the side too, though? No, not anymore. I used to. Um, and then I just got tired of it because people, when, when it comes to like arts and stuff like that, they are always like, oh, we'll pay you an exposure. And, you know, I have bills to pay. So, you know, exposure doesn't pay my bills. So after a while of that, I got really tired of it and I just stopped. And with regards to like COVID and stuff last year, a lot of my uh, magician friends got wiped out um, because they, you know, they lost their initial source of income and then they pivoted to, um, you know, zoom shows. And some of them are doing fantastic with those. Um, and you know, they're slowly recovering, but with magic being such a, uh, human to human connection type of thing, right. It requires a lot of like, you know, up close and personal type of stuff, which for most places still is not very, uh, you know, accessible right now. And that's that's so unfortunate because it's like the same thing with comedy. They were trying to do like like Zoom comedies and, and things like that. It's just I don't know if it's the same as just going to a, a comedy club or things like that. It's really unfortunate. But it really uh, is. Like yeah. the entertainment arts, you really need to be there yeah. to kind of feel all the nuance and 100%. see all the skill and everything that's put into it. Like some of my really really good friends are rappers in L.A. Um, my favorite group, uh, Year of the Ox, they are some of the best performers out there. And, you know, when they were kind of grounded, uh, it, it was painful to see, you know, shows not being, uh,
booked anymore and stuff like that. So uh, entertainers across the board uh, just got pretty much punched in the mouth and they had to do whatever it took to make sure they pivoted and, you know, kept their livelihood going. So big props to the people that are able to do it. Do you think, do you see, uh, is it opening up in your neck of the woods, you being out um, where you are closer in the Bay Area? Is it is it starting to open up more where you're going to see the arts being able to get out in front of people or what's your feeling there? Honestly, I don't know. Um, I know that there's um, there's people saying um, they're willing to go to shows again with, you know, wearing masks and getting vaccinated and stuff like that. Yeah. And then there's, it's just... The energy is not going to be the same, obviously, because there's always that air of apprehension of getting too close and all sure. that type of stuff. Uh, and so awesome. I don't know. Um, I hope it changes. I hope there's you know live shows. I want to see my friends succeed. I want to see them perform again. And you know, it's just it's been sad to see how a lot of you know people got you know basically punished. Uh, for being in an entertainment or events uh, space because they're not essential right like that whole and that was such a weird thing is like labeling things essential or not essential that really like kind of bummed me out when i saw hard work and people lose their livelihood because of that absolutely and that you know uh, i'm very very fortunate to have been able to still survive and you know build a pretty good business during the uh the pandemic but not too many people were in the uh, situation that I was at where I had that blessing. So I'd never take that for granted. Absolutely. You know, my last question, and I started Instagram, like doing the whole influencing thing, maybe like four or five months ago. I'm kind of curious. How long have you been on Instagram? First of all, I guess. Let me ask that. <laughs> Shoot. Um, or doing so the I, influencing. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm much of an influencer. I don't ever consider myself an influencer because okay. all I'm trying to do is educate and gotcha. if people find value in what I do, they're more than welcome to work together with me. And if we align, you know, by all means, let's work together, make you some money. Um, I'll make a living off of that. But for the most part, I only really started doing my Instagram, like, quote unquote, influencing stuff. And I'm not even that big. I don't even know right. how Instagram works, really. Uh, <laughs> I've only been doing it for about a year, um, okay. and before that, I pivoted. I used to just have magic tricks on uh, on my page. Okay. I took everything down. Might slowly reintegrate it in it in between like financial education posts. But um, yeah, I was on Instagram since 2012, but didn't really do anything until like 20, 25 or not 25. What the hell? Uh, 2015. Okay. Yeah. Have you noticed with your, you know, you being a financial coach, did you see things kind of, did, did business pick up for you because of COVID? I felt like did people got more interested in investing and finance in general. Is that how you felt oh, yeah. too? or? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not so much more about like people investing money. It's more so uh, I've been working with people that want to protect their money. Okay. We saw what happened, um, you know, March of 2020. Yeah. It was a 33% drop. <laughs> yes, so, people lost it, man. They didn't know what to do. <laughs> and so during that time, if you are in a variable type uh, in investment, so like 401ks, IRAs, all that type of stuff. Sure. And if you are at the age of 65 or older. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. You pretty much can't retire anymore. Like you got to go mm, back to work. Now, obviously- yeah. The market was kind of insane and it's an anomaly um it kind of recovered a little bit but for most people once that happens and you're retired and you lose money and you take money out of your retirement plan 
that triggers what's called the uh, sequence of returns risk. Essentially, what that means is you're kicking the dog while it's down. Yeah. And so you're pulling way too much money out from your plan and yep. your plan just can't uh, sustain its growth and it can't outgrow the, the losses and usage. And so that cuts people's retirement plan down by like, you know, at worst half. Um, so, yeah. you know, seeing stuff like that happen to older folks, there was a guy that um, we saw, uh, he had about a million dollars in his IRA account. Yeah. And when that happened, he lost about $250,000 pretty much overnight. Yep. So not only that, he was still paying asset under management fees on those. So with asset under management fees, whether or not you make money or lose money, you still got to pay your advisor. Sure. So if the market goes down 50% and your advisor is charging you 2%, you lost 52%. Right. So for that gentleman, he grand total lost about like maybe around $300,000. Mm. So we, we basically helped him move his assets into something that was protected. But fact of the matter is, you know, 65 years old or so, and you lose 300 G overnight. That's a, that's a painful cake. Uh, however you cut it. Right. Ugh. So yeah, our goal is to basically prevent that from happening to people before it even happens. Right. And you know, if you're, if you're young, I mean, yeah, cause for someone like me, you know, I'm was only 20, 25 at the time. I just kind of let that puppy ride. Right. Mm -hmm. For me, I was like, I, I'd been in markets long enough. I knew what, you know, what was going to happen. I didn't really know that it was going to recover as fast as it, as it did. I wish I bought more. Um, <laughs> obviously you always do, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, for someone our age, do you recommend, what do you recommend? You know, if they're in the you, market, you just... gotta, uh, if you're in the market, you need to have some sort of asset that's market protected Okay. because yeah, you could be, you could be a little riskier when you're young, but if all your assets are risky, that means that if you were to sustain something pretty big, your pretty much your entire portfolio gets set back. Yeah. And so it's important to have like not your entire portfolio being the like indexing strategies. You can go a little bit risky, but you do want to have some sort of safe, reliable investments in place so that in, in case anything does happen, sure. by the time you reach retirement, you still have that available to you. Mm. It's like, it's like padding your back end, but knowing that you are going to, um, you know, build other assets as well. But if, you know, everything else goes to hell, you still have that to rely on. Okay. You re what kind of allocation do you recommend? Because I don't have any index strategies, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. what, what do you typically see people my age? I know everyone's different, but, you know, what kind of allocation to an indexing strategy do you see a lot of people make? Is it, is it half their um, wealth? I, so I just don't depending, know. Depending on income, obviously, with these yep. indexing strategies, it's you know monthly contribution, right? So right. if a person is making five grand a month, um, my whole thing is you need to save at least ten percent of your income for either savings, retirement, whatever the case may be. Just don't touch it. That money needs to work for you. So right. from that five hundred bucks, I could chop it up to be like you know a hundred bucks for savings, two hundred bucks for retirement. Uh, another 200 bucks for, let's say, emergency funds, okay. whatever the case may be. So it, it depends on the person. Um, and so if a person has extra money that they are comfortable with losing, because no matter how you talk about stock market, it's it's all speculative. We don't know what's going to happen. Sure. You could you could read the patterns and stuff and make a couple bucks off of it. Uh, but for the most part, it's really up and down, right? 
Right. And so it's really important to have the amount of money that you can afford to lose in there. Uh, if you don't necessarily read the charts every day, or you're not like a you know day trader or something like that, that live and breathe those screens, most investors are not going to have the time to sit in front of a chart like that all right. day long. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very important to when you're investing in the stock market, play with what you can afford to lose, especially with like cryptocurrency. Sure. Yeah. What do you what do you recommend people uh, allocating to cryptocurrency? I always say three to five percent maximum, ten percent. Ten percent, I think, is really freaking high. But what do you yeah. what do you, I, I really think it, people would tell me ten percent is not high enough. I think they're nuts um, because the re, the way I look at it is I get so many people asking me when when it's volatile. It, oh, should I sell my crypto? If you're asking yourself, should I sell my crypto? You have too much of an allocation to cryptocurrency. If you're consist- yeah. if you're consistently asking yourself, oh, should I buy? Should I sell? Uh, dude, you're t- you're you have too much money in it. Yeah, um, I don't particularly have a number or percentage per se. It's just if you're comfortable with losing X amount of money, yeah, and you're okay with risking it, by all means, have fun. Treat it like you would Las Vegas. If you would go to <laughs> Vegas with a you know five hundred bucks in your pocket and you win something at the tables, by all means, celebrate. I'm not telling you to don't do that, but you don't want to bet your entire future at the roulette table. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I agree. I mean, a lot of people would tell us that we're wrong, um, clearly, because they think it's the future. Um, <laughs> and I don't even argue that it might not, it might be the future. It might be, but so was the internet. And look how many people mm-hmm. lost money on the internet, uh, the internet bubble back in the day. Yep. You just got to be really... Um, yeah, so it's like diversification is your best friend at that point. Like you can Absolutely. still be exposed to those asset classes, but well, as soon as you start over concentrating your portfolio, that's where you get in serious trouble. Mm-hmm. And with diversification, most people don't really truly understand what that means. It's not having money in a Roth IRA or 401k or whatever. Sure. Those are pretty much the same type of assets. It's Absolutely. a variable asset. Right. And so if the market crashes, you lose money there. Different asset classes would be like indexing, real estate, crypto, yep. uh, businesses, whatever the case may be. Just have money in different places where it can generate you more money. Yep. Un- so uncorrelated more- assets or less exactly. correlated. Right. Yeah. You want to have a well-diverse portfolio so that you know, you're protected either way. Um, most people, when they talk about investing, they think it's one way or the other. Right. You, you can have growth. You can have protection. Uh, and still be, you know, doing really, really well. Yeah, I get a lot of people my age, you know, in their 20s telling me diversification. They tell me I'm an idiot because they think diversification just protects it and they don't think it builds wealth. I couldn't disagree more. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, what do you say to somebody like that who just f- lives and breathes this idea of concentration builds it? I, I don't – You're yeah. right. <laughs> that, that's what I say. You're right. <laughs> I don't argue because, you know, if, if I try to argue with someone with regards to their, how they built their personal finances, sure. you know, I'm not, not, it's wasting my time. I could be helping someone else I like build that. up their asset portfolio. <laughs> You're right. You know, go, go put more in crypto. Uh, that, you know, I'm going to try that now. I'm just going to agree with them. Yeah, you're right, man. Go, go have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not my money, right? That's true. It's just it's it's sad though because I've been around and you've been around long enough and a lot of these people that are new into the markets they don't know they've only seen post COVID 
like a lot of the a lot of these new you know people that entered the market it's all post covid right so it's been a a green year right that's all they've seen and so i just reality hasn't set in yet and eventually it will um yep. it always does i mean look at what happened with the COVID sell-off, a lot of people got in after it, but I mean, I rode that thing all the way down, and it was not fun. <laughs> Good times make for weak people. Yeah, that's one thing. Um, and if people are thinking about investing, and you know, they only look past the the last ten, twenty years or so, there's a whole decade where the S and P five hundred did nothing. That's called the decade of loss or the lost decade. Was that seventies? Uh, it was like 2000 or 1998 to like, or 1999 to 2009. Oh, is that what it was? Decade. Yeah. Okay. I remember reading it. Okay. Yeah. I was wrong with the seventies. Okay. So the early two thousands. There's, you know, probably other ones too. Like the stock market doesn't just go up. It goes nope. down too. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you definitely have to, and in over the long run, it'll go up. But, it, but again, to your point. A lot of it also depends on when you retire, right? So, you know, when, like you're talking about that guy that retired at 65 and right during COVID, that he's shit out of luck. That is yep. a tough pill to swallow. Absolutely. And you think about all the people in 2008, right? Yeah. 2008 was a, was a, was a bad, bad time for everyone, pretty much. Um, you think about the people that bought a house. They lost their house. And you think about the people that worked 30, 40, 50 years of their life, pouring everything that they had into their 401k. They thought they were going to retire at that age and half their asset just disappeared and they lost their house. So what do you do then? Like, you know, that's why a lot of people committed suicide because uh, they yeah. saw no way out. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, did. I and I remember reading about COVID, right? There Clearly, there was some elevated suicide rates having to do with that as well. Uh, that's yeah. I don't like to see that. Yeah. What so you... people people think too much about stock market as a singular thing. Mm -hmm. There's macroeconomics as well. Sure. There's things outside of the uh, stock market that affects it, like government, politics, world events, and stuff like that. It all meshes in, and you can't just think, "Oh, stock market stock market's going to go up." Yeah. It, it doesn't work that way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Geopolitics, all, yes. It, it is all very intertwined, especially now that we're more of like a globalized market. We all bleed into each other. I mm -hmm. mean, it's, yeah, we're not isolationists anymore. It, you know, what happens in Europe or in China certainly affects us now more than ever. Yeah, take a look at what's going on with the disease, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's like, yeah, and that's a whole nother topic we won't get into, but, yeah. you know, I... <laughs> Billy, I appreciate this. This was a great conversation. My my guys are going to enjoy this. I'll make sure to drop all your information below. And, you know, are you always looking for new clients? Or how does that work if, if some yeah, of my I'm guys always, are interested? Yeah, if, they, um, if they're interested in learning how to diversify their assets, okay. basically everything I do is education first. Yep. And if they find that I'm someone that they want to work with, then we'll work together. They don't pay me a fee or anything. The financial institutions pay me. Uh, so I don't charge any asset under management. So essentially, you get a free advisor. Okay. 
I like it. I and you know what? I again, I appreciate Billy. I'm going to link all your stuff and guys. You heard it here. If you're in in need of um, somebody to help look after your best interest when it comes to your financial situation, Billy's your guy, and he's also can do a couple of magic tricks on the side. So <laughs> I appreciate it, man. And uh, again, thank you for coming on, and uh, I'll catch up with you at a later time, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Billy. You have a good one. You too. Take care. Bye bye. As always, you filthy animals, thanks for tuning in. Stay hungry. Keep grinding. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.